Hello, listeners. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And we are so thrilled to have back on the show today a former guest, Tanuja Jagranath. Uh, she's based in Chicago. She's an Indo-Caribbean playwright, dramaturg, and ceramic artist who believes in the necessity of creation during times of destruction. We talked with Tanuja a few months ago about her theatrical work, and today we have her back on to discuss her work organizing the response of Chicago theaters to the Black Lives Matter movement, the coronavirus pandemic, and this moment in time. Welcome to Beckett's Baby. Welcome back to Beckett's Babies, Tanuja. Thank you, Sam and Sarah. We're really glad to have you um, back on the show, you know, uh, I guess nine months after we last talked in a very different <laughs> kind of moment. Um, so I wonder if we could just start with kind of a general overview of how you've seen theaters responding to this moment and your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think responding is the right word. Um, and that like, um, it seems like people, theaters have gone into kind of a reaction mode. Um, and, uh, you know, statements galore, right? Like, <laughs> did you all notice, like, how many, how many emails did you all get? Right, like a statement yeah, so from this theater, mm-hmm. a statement, and then a follow up statement. <laughs> oh, a follow. I don't know that I've gotten follow up statements. Oh, really? I yeah, but maybe not from theaters. Actually, it might have been from more from academic institutions. Oh, interesting. Oh, I'd love to know about a, a follow up statement from theaters because, you know, okay, so my instinct was just to ignore the statements because. <laughs> um, I'm more interested in what people end up doing, but then I was like, no, 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 they could be really interesting um, material for literature. So I, I've, I've been reading them and um, paying attention to the repeating language. Um, uh, Cause I just think that <laughs> I'm as a dramaturg and a playwright, I'm really fascinated by like, what is the language people grab onto? Are people copying and pasting statements from each other and like, oh, rework, yeah. you know, yeah, using the thesaurus to, um, you know, give it a different flavor. Um, but honestly, <laughs> I have not seen many very effective statements, I have to say. Um, I've seen, um, you know, just a lot of statements, right? And then um, what I, my takeaway from, excuse me, a lot of the statements is that I just, you know, they really highlight that a lot of these theaters don't necessarily understand what racism is um, and the systemic nature of racism, right? So, um, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, use the Goodman as an example. Um, you know, I think they're in their statement, they say, um, you know, we remain steadfast in our commitment to producing works of art that help to connect and challenge and restore. And, you know, I think, um, I've just heard too many stories from friends and colleagues who have worked at places like the Goodman, where they feel disempowered. Um, 
they 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 feel underrepresented. They don't feel supported by the leadership. And so, um, you know, we can talk also about you know what went down at Victory Gardens in Chicago too. Like, there's there's been this real divide between the artists and the administration. Um, and a lot of like silence and invisibility of the people of color administrators who help to facilitate the creation of the art. So even if a theater, you know, produces a play by a black person, you know, what I've been saying is just like the process of creating that theater matters so much, um, you know, not only in the rehearsal room, um, but um, all the way to the beginning, right? When the play is chosen to, you know, um, the administrative staff who are literally, you know, holding the container for the productions to, to take place, right? Um, so that's kind of what I've been sitting with, um, you know, mm-hmm. lots of interesting, colorful statements. Um, I'm, I'm more interested in, you know, the concrete actions people will end up taking. Um, I do see, you know, like I saw um, First Folio in Chicago, they did a statement that's on their website homepage. And, you know, it actually feels like self-reflective. They're, they they actually put um, a list of things that they're going to do. Um, and that actually, you know, I read that and I was like, this this feels earnest to me. This feels like they really are sitting with... Um, some of the ways in which they have not shown up in the past, um, but are committed to listening and learning now. Um, uh, Cloudgate Theater, they um, included a way for people to donate to local organizations, which I thought, great, given action action Mm -hmm. move. Um, They also provided resources for people to self-educate. Yeah, so it's like, okay, that's a good move. you know. It sounds like it sounds like maybe a distinction you're drawing between what makes a statement um, earnest and meaningful versus not is some recognition of like the the culpability of the organization itself, rather than you know oh here's our statement about how we're going to continue doing what we've been doing. Yeah, uh, you know um, that um, if a theater is able to say you know, we have done harm in the past and here's what we're going to do differently, that that feels more meaningful. Yep. Yep. A real acknowledgement goes a long way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, Unless you're free street theater, right? Um, They made a statement that I actually really respected too. Um, I just respect them as an organization because they've been doing the work um, of, um, not just including black and brown people in their shows and leadership, but um, they center black and brown people in Chicago in their process, in their whole you know process of inquiry when they're creating a devised piece. Um, and so when they say we're going to continue doing what we do, I'm saying, I'm like, yes, please continue. That feels legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> and let's give you more money to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you think that act of, when you mentioned that act of acknowledgement is, is what you think is, um, that might be like setting an example 
for artists or like for anyone um, who, you know, feel like they don't, I'm trying to set what I'm saying here. I think just that act of acknowledgement. Do you think that it's just like a good way to initiate this kind of activism? Like sort of like that's the first step. I think so. I think if you're, yeah, in, yeah if you're an institution um, and if you're a predominantly white institution, um, mm-hmm. um, I think absolutely like um, acknowledge, acknowledge who you are. Yeah what you've been doing, what you haven't been doing. Um, You don't have to, you know, tell everybody all your business. Um, um, But, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, we have too many institutions in theater, you know, uh, where the violence is an open secret, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and Victory Gardens is a case in point. Um, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had um, since I, you know, uh, wow, you know, signed on as a fellow um, back in um, January of 2019, you know, kind of when you say, you know, I'm now going to do a fellowship at this place, like the looks you get, like, oh, and kind really? of, yeah, and um, the stories that are just circulating, like, oh, huh, how's that going, right? Like, people, people, Look, <laughs> Chicago theater, and I cannot speak for other cities, um, it's, it's, it's a close-knit kind of space. So um, the actors know directors, the directors know designers, the designers know the actors and everyone, the producers, um, the administrators who you never see or hear from, they, they know everyone too. Um, people know each other socially, they know each other professionally. Um, you know, they might be working at a big regional theater, but they're also working together at a storefront theater. They might also be working together at you know, a bar to pay the bills and they might also be living together, you know? Right. (laughs) So, um, you know, people know what's going on. So, you know, I just am amused when a theater can sort of pretend that um, they confront. So I just feel like, who are these statements for? I, if anyone, I just feel like they've, They've been for the ignorant donors or the ignorant audience members, right? Who don't know what goes on behind the scenes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it feels to me like an attempt to be like, please keep coming to our shows. Please keep mm-hmm. giving us your money. Mm-hmm. Well, right. And, and I think it's so important to remember that the interns of today or the, you know, <laughs> Yeah, the staff of you know the like uh, box office staff of today is going yeah. to be the artistic leadership of tomorrow. Um, yes, and so whatever groundwork institutions are laying in this moment is um, is going to have long lasting effects for that very institution. Hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, so I wonder, like in your, in your kind of ideal vision of the world, how, 
what is the role of theater artists <laughs> in responding to like, you know, you know, moments, uh, you know, of societal upheaval and transformation? Like, because because I, I heard you say that theaters are responding right now. They're really reacting, um, uh, which is different from, you know, kind of leading the larger population. Uh-huh. So... Like, I mean, what do you think theaters should be doing? Um, yeah, so I really do, I think we need to ask, right? What are we trying to do here? You know, what are we really trying to do? Are we, as a, <clears throat> as an industry or just as an art form, right? Are we trying to uphold the status quo and the way things are? Um, are we trying to help us imagine the world as it could be and help, you know, prefigure the world we want to live in, right? Um, Are we trying to hold elected officials accountable? Are we trying to um, empower audiences um, or not empower them? People already have power. We don't don't have to give people power, but like, are we trying to remind people of their power, right? So what are we really trying to do? Um, You know, I'm not sure that the answer to that question is going to be the same for the Goodman as it is going to be for a storefront theater. Um, but for me, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at Chicago as a whole, I'm just going to say like, look at the conditions around you. Um, look at the conditions we're living in. We are in a country poorly managing a pandemic. We actually could probably have kicked it by now. Um, if we had addressed it in the way we should have, we have a racist, fascist, violent head of state. Um, so within that, you know, while we see um, communities of color being targeted, um, people being deported, children being detained and locked up, um, People are losing their loved ones and family members because we do not have a a system of healthcare that really truly serves everybody. Uh, People's water is being shut off because they can't afford it. And people like Lori Lightfoot won't turn people's water back on. You know, um, these are the conditions and more. Mm. So given the conditions, what are we positioned to be able to do, right? What are the resources we have access to? Um, And this is why I was quite excited about the hashtag open your lobby, because I really saw it as, you know, um, an opportunity for people to lean into practicing mutual aid and say like, hey, here are the resources we've got. We've got a space that is inactive and we've got a mailing list. Um, What can we do, Right. right? Um, to whom can we offer these great resources? Um, what organizers can we offer these resources to so they can we can amplify their work, we can amplify their campaigns? Because, you know, I think that's for me, um, you know, people have been talking, you know, wow, about resist fascism, defund the police, um, promote prison abolition for decades. So I'm just kind of like theater, get on board, get on board. Come on. It's, it's about time. And, um, you know, this mutual aid thing too, old AF, you know, it's not a new concept. (laughs) Um, 
Um, so get on board, learn what it is to do mutual aid for real, you know. Um, uh, you theaters have such resource. And when people are literally trying to meet their basic survival needs, um, you know, what can you offer that's tangible? Yeah, I mean, I it's almost as if the the physical space in which people gather together, which was the Achilles heel when it comes to the coronavirus, mm, yeah, you know, is is the best gift that theaters can offer in this moment. It's like mm. um, the thing that makes them vulnerable to COVID makes them powerful. Um, in a, yeah, in a I like that. Protest, you know? I really love that. Yeah, because yeah, I, I when when the pandemic hit, you know, I I feel like I saw a lot of like frustration and you know a lot of um for me um I felt a little disappointed at the response. You know, people were like, "Well, great, now we can't do our show." Okay, well, you know, uh, you know, I I just felt like a moment of just like defeatedness and um. Um, just like a lot of individual disappointment and Mm -hmm. I didn't see what I had hoped to see, which is, Hey, how can we come together in this moment, you know, and activate these missions that we, you know, market on our social media, but like, how do we really demonstrate our values in this moment? Right. Um, and I will say, I think people did demonstrate their values. They showed, I think we demonstrate our values through our actions. So, um, you know, and we talk about this in playwriting all the time, right? Like character is built through action and, and decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the way a theater acts right now tells me who this theater is. Mm. Um, so... Right. How can we, you know, build relationships with our audiences and our our neighborhoods and our constituents? How can we be courageous? How can we hold um, our leaders accountable? Um, How can we collaborate with people doing on the ground work every single day? You know, organizers and activists have been out here uh, for decades and decades, right? Um, uh, uh, with very few resources, making incredible things happen. I want to lift up the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. Um, mm. Oh gosh, in the middle of a pandemic, y'all, in the middle of a respiratory emergency, <laughs> um, mm. um, in Little Village, um, the Crawford Coal Plant, um, which was shut down by um, the actions of Little Village Environmental Justice Org um, in 2012, um, the city, uh, under the leadership of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, um, they they decide to implode the coal plant and a major uh, stack, coal stack, And what that did was, and I don't know if you saw the imagery, but it sent toxic dust out into the entire community. Yes. Little Village was blanketed with this this awful toxic dust. And I can send you um, images that we have only because um, Alejandro Reyes was um, operating a drone at the time to observe the thing. So... uh, 
they gave wow. the neighborhood no warning. Um, they didn't do any of the evacuations that you might see someplace like in Germany. Um, they didn't do any of the procedures like um, wetting down the 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 dirt and everything around the site so that when the coal stack fell, it would fall into, um, you know, mud and water, right? And you would right, see a right. splash. So it wouldn't become airborne. Exactly. So, wow. and um, sadly, what that did was in a neighborhood that is already very compromised um, respiratorily because it's, you know, um, right next to an industrial corridor and so on and so forth, you see, um, oh, and then most of the community are essential workers. So they were continuing to work um, during the pandemic. Okay. So <laughs> you have an already compromised population that gets extra compromised. And um, a gentleman um, um, who had um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder actually passed away um, because he went out into his backyard, um, breathed in the air, and that just tipped him over the edge. Okay. So like I'm saying all of this to say, <laughs> you know, these are organizing communities that have been just out here trying to literally breathe and drink clean water. Um, and I'm just like, okay, theaters, right. Right. activate. Right. Right. And in the in that context, a theater that is, you know, kind of shuttered and silent. Uh, it just seems like it's kind of hoarding its resources you know, mm -hmm. um, in a community that really is is hurting and needing. I, you know, just like. Um, I don't, I'm, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but but I, I do think that the silence of the institution speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. And it really asks, I, I ask the question of like, for whom are you doing what you do, right? For whose benefit? Um, yeah. um, you know, uh, Miranda Gonzalez, um, who works at... Um, um, I want to pull up this article, you know, um, excuse me, Miranda works at Urban Theater Company, and um, she actually um, wrote up a article that, that says, you know, it's going to take more than hashtag open your lobby to address racism in American theater. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what she's calling for is actual solidarity and funding um, in this time. And so um, I like this, this call to action from Miranda because it, it really presses us to look at the economic system in which we're actually making theater. So um, on this level, you know, we can take our gaze away from individual storefronts that are all struggling and say, now let's take a, a let's zoom out and look at the funding community. And um, because to me, that can help us understand why storefronts and even uh, regional theaters are less active. Um, um, if we're all competing for the same 
um, perceived scarce resources, right? Um, we all have to hang on tight to every single sponsor, every single donor, right? This is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so much um, to think about. I, yeah, I and we mentioned this on the show, but it, it does so much like these aren't new problems like this has been existing problems but that something about this moment that is just opening so many eyes um Mm -hmm. and putting leaders theaters um under like immense scrutiny um and i think us as a community like the fact that all our eyes are on them is just is I think that is in itself is really powerful because now we're not just like, you know, idly standing by and kind of letting things happen. But we're like now we're just really watching and um, wanting, you know, to act people to really act. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, God, that's everything you're saying is just like it's just making me think about just uh, our own theater community in LA. And here's the thing, like theaters that, you know, were like, Oh, my theater, my community, we're going to stand on. You could see slowly one by one, each of these theater just falling and mm-hmm. bankrupting and disappearing. Mm-hmm. And because they are, um, like, it's like, they never had this mindset that as like, instead of working individually, like you said, you know, to get those donors or whatever, but having come more of a united front, mm-hmm. like that's more powerful right now. Cause yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think in the last two weeks, I just seen theaters just shutting, closing doors or, or um, just recently the big theater, IO Chicago mm-hmm. that was been around, uh, they're shutting doors. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, and that has like a very like his long history of just sexism and racism and, um, the culture there has been pretty toxic. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, before we started recording, Tanuja, you were talking about um, like the role that an individual theater artist can play, kind of agitating and um, like, you know, just demanding more from the institutions. And so it feels like part of this conversation is what the institutions are doing, big and small. But part of the conversation is also how can an individual playwright or director or actor, you know, um, demand more or even audience member, you know, what, what can what can patrons do, you know, to kind of hold the theaters, collective Mm -hmm. theaters feet to the fire? I think that's a really fun question. Um, (laughs) 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 I mean, I'll, I want to lift up a couple examples of um, individual artists that for me are pretty inspiring right now. Um, you know, but these are people who have been doing the work for a long time. So one um, theater artist is um, Ricardo Gamboa in Chicago, who um, created the Hoodwazi. Um, and um, what the Hoodwazi is doing, they um, 
present the news in a grounded, um, like they call it block optics. So it is news that comes from um, the south and west sides of Chicago. Um, and what they've been doing that I just love is they're bringing on, um, you know, progressive elected officials, they're bringing on community organizers, they're bringing on um, people who, you know, like I was saying before, have been doing the work of um, organizing and, you know, trying to make change. And they're literally giving these organizers and a platform to, um, you know, get their take on what's going on. So I've been, I've just been really relying on, on that because they're looking at healthcare, they're looking at education and they just did, um, in response to, um, you know, some anti-black violence that, uh, you know, broke out in Chicago, um, on the South and West sides, um, uh, they were like, the Hoodwazi was like, this is not going to stand. And so they created a um, two-day lecture series where they talked about um, anti-Black racism in the Latinx communities. They talked about, um, oh man, I went to one lecture that was, um, you know, two former um, gang-affiliated people who now do... Um, um, like violence prevention and um, intervention. And, you know, I learned so much about the history of um, gangs in Chicago, stuff that I didn't even know. Um, and you you really won't know this unless you actually talk to people who have been involved and, and were, um, you know, a part of um, gangs themselves. And what I learned, for instance, thanks to the Hoodwazi, was um, that um, black and brown gangs in Chicago were unified um, up through, up and up to the 80s. They were actually defending communities. They were actually trying to minimize. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were trying to minimize um, drug selling in the communities. And then in the 1980s, um, thanks to federal legislation, the RICO Act and so on and so forth, um, drugs became introduced into the communities. Um, state crimes became federal crimes. Um, there was this whole shift to um, calling street gangs, mm -hmm. the language shifted. So um, street gangs were referred not just as street gangs, but as um, organized crime. <laughs> wow. And yeah, then you see a whole shift in how um, street gangs were treated and perceived. Um, uh, so anyway, Hoodwazi, right? Um, really, um, shifting the discourse through um, shared knowledge, right? That's rooted in black and brown expertise. And they're really doing a great job of shifting the notion of who is an expert, okay? So um, much mm. respect, much respect to that project. And then, um, you know, I've been watching and, you know, trying to support the work of um, Christiana Ray Gallone, who's been out here um, as the co-founder of the Let Us Breathe Collective. Um, along with other artists and activists, you know, um, I mean, they've just been continuing to do their work. And um, so it's just 
driven me to ask myself, you know, as an artist, as an individual of a certain age, and, you know, I have like limitations to my time and energy and everything. How, what are, you know, back to the thing I was saying earlier, like, what are my resources that I have access to? Time, money, um, skills. What are my skill sets? How can I put my resources that I perceive um, that I have um, to use, right? So um, part of it, I think, for people is, you know, reach out and ask, right? If you have relationships with organizers and activists in your life, and a lot of us do, um, um, you know, ask, right? How can I help? How can I show up? How can I show up? I'm, you know, what acknowledgements need to be made? Um, um, and how can I show up, right? Um, chances are there is a mutual aid community or collective or network in your town. So, you know, how can you show up? Um, I, and, you know, um, shortly after the pandemic um, really hit and we started doing a lot of social distancing, um, a beautiful sign-up form went around in Chicago, um, put together by organizers, um, calling for people to join up for for mutual aid, and it asked, you know, what are your skills and what are your, um, what are the things you can maybe bring to a mutual aid effort? And um, I live in Edgewater in Chicago, and so um, someone reached out, and um, you know, what I've been able to do, like I'm not the person going out to deliver meals. I'm not the person going out to um, do houseless eat outreach, although lots of people are. I'm doing some of the more like backend um, operations mm. work, right? Which is stuff that I was doing for theaters, but now I'm doing it for a mutual aid effort, right? So people who have skills in, in using spreadsheets and, and doing project management, um, you can bring that to a mutual aid effort, for example, or like if you have skills in marketing, you can absolutely um, bring those skills to mutual aid efforts that um, I'll just tell you right now, they're most likely um, under-resourced. Um, and right now, because of, you know, we've got a national uprising and a pandemic, people are tired, right? And so to be able to show up and say, okay, who needs to tag out so I can tag in, right? Mm -hmm. How can I build, how can I increase the capacity of, of this operation right now? Um, and come with humility and, you know, don't come trying to build your brand, you know, and, you know, <laughs> right. make it, make, make a dollar, right? It's literally like, yeah, show up and, and offer what you can. Um, and, you know, don't, don't fall into the mythology of, you know, you got to be a hero and you've got to be a martyr, right? Like, I think that's something we've um, been taught. So don't do that. Um, really learn how to, you know, <laughs> collaborate with people. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think some theater artists really have some cool experience with that, right? We talk about theater being a collaborative effort, right? Like, if you've learned how to collaborate and listen and um, read the room. And, and not be the star of the show. <laughs> right? Like, 
you can yeah, do that. You can, you can do it. You can do it. So those are two individual things. Um, as an audience member, you know, it's interesting to ask that question, like what can patrons do? Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be lovely if a theater was, would, would make the opening for a patron to give feedback. But I think if you're a patron, like be like, these are the shows I want to see. These are the narratives that I want to see. Right. Um, These are the people on stage that I want to see. You know, maybe whether or not someone asks you, maybe go ahead and just tell them (laughs) like, you know, this this is the relationship I have with your theater. This is, you know, I love your theater. Here's what it means to me. And here's what I want to see. You know, that. Yeah perspective is important what do you all think Uh, I feel (laughs) I feel so far away from theater right now I mean just because of where I am and so it almost feels like I'm I'm kind of watching this unfold well I mean it is because that's exactly what's happening I'm watching it all unfold on a screen you know but I'm not currently close in physical proximity to any theaters so Mm -hmm. um but but everything you're saying really rings true and I think that theaters have um one of the untapped powers that theaters have is their well, as you said, their mailing lists and their ability to um, kind of be a hub for all different kinds of people in in a city. You know, it's like, um, especially if you think about a theater like the Goodman or Victory Gardens, like there are people who might see a show at that theater who have never heard of, you know, some of the initiatives mm-hmm. that you're talking about. And, and yet you know and that but the theater can be a kind of meeting place for activists and artists and patrons and you know it and and I feel like we don't talk about that enough um you know that there aren't many other kinds of institutions where people meet and interact from across such a broad swath of the the public um, mm-hmm. but because they're, because we're often kind of stratified into our individual roles or tracks and like, and the way in which we interact with each other is so like clear cut, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it just feels like a missed opportunity, but in a pandemic and in a social uprising, mm-hmm those roles can be redefined. Yes. Um, And here's one example of a possibility that um, is currently in the works, if I can share that. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, I I really recommend, right? So um, back in, I want to say November of last year, um, some um, Black, Indigenous, POC playwrights, we started gathering um, amongst one another because we recognized the need for um, space to hear and read 
our work uh, beyond an external white gaze, right? So mm-hmm. um, we formed, you know, what we call just the BIPOC playwrights, and we meet twice a month. And um, what's been exciting, you know, I really personally, as one of the co-organizers, I was just like, okay, you know, we'll take a year or two and we'll develop our systems and so on and so forth. But as soon as the pandemic hit, um, people were like, hey, I want to get more involved. Hey, what are we doing? And we, there was just this desire to gather and take action together. And so we've actually, um, um, been working on building our, um, kind of working agreements and our mission and our values and our grievance process um, to really build the foundation of a collective that um, has what I believe is needed to be sustainable, right? Ways to work out conflict and all of that. So um, we'll be doing, um, um, we're calling them like, you know, circles, just, you know, centering circles, grounding circles, writing circles, healing circles, whatever it is. Um, And we're partnering with theater spaces and community spaces that are maybe underutilized right now, right? Cool. Um, And um, in addition to that, um, so I used to be an acupuncturist and um, one of my very, very favorite things to do, the thing that got me to become an acupuncturist is this ear acupuncture protocol. Um, It's called the NADA protocol, N-A-D-A. It stands for National Acupuncture Detoxification Association. Anyway, it's five five points, (laughs) five points in the ear. Beautiful. um, essentially, the um, person who does the acupuncture um, puts in your needles and they leave you alone. Um, you can do this treatment in a circle. Um, it's perfect for social distancing, by the way. So, um, you know, I, I've reconnected with um, folks that um, I used to do this with and also some new folks that I've never collaborated with before. And, you know, we'll be coming together to um, create what we're calling healing justice practice spaces. Um, healing justice is a framework of, you know, what are collective ways we can intervene on the violence and the impact on our bodies um, due to systemic oppression, basically. So, um, and we're we're trying to see are there theater spaces that can host these circles, right? Cool. Um, yeah. Now, the thing that has become important to note is like these groups need to feel um, safe when they go into these institutions. So yeah. um, we've been like empowering each other to say like, you are bringing the thing. So what do you need in order to feel supported and held it properly and also how will we do the outreach for this thing that we're going to do who will create the imagery who will create the language and um both the acupuncturists and the bipoc playwrights we've agreed we will do our own marketing um mm. we <laughs> we will not be putting any institutional logos on our on our language because both groups acknowledge this dynamic of institutions, not just theater institutions, but any institution um, kind of 
having the tendency to claim and co-opt work. Um, mm. So we've been asking, hey, like what would be cool is we'll create the imagery and the language. And what we love is can you use your platform to promote it without putting your stamp on it? So just I, distribute it. And, exactly. Um, mm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's cool. And, and when they host, you know, give us the guidelines, tell us, you know, how we can respect your space. Um, and can you open the space and, you know, let us do our thing, right? Like, it's very interesting. <clears throat> so those are two things. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm truly hopeful that, um, you know, in the healing justice practice spaces, you know, we can bring together um, people who do acupuncture, um, street medics, people who work with mutual aid, um, organizers who need a rest, um, people who are seeking information, like, can that physical space be that hub, right, that you're talking about, Sam? Um, mm-hmm. And with the BIPOC playwright circles, like, can we make space for, you know, Black and brown people to come and rest and have a space to breathe and witness one another and be witnessed um, um, at a time when we could really use that. Mm. Right. So to me, it's so beautiful. I love that. But it's also not any individual that's doing it. It really is collective work. And that work is not easy. And it, it requires like, you know, lean in, uh, learn how to manage conflict, um, if you've had conflict with someone in the past, can you work it out enough so that you can work together to do this thing that needs to be done? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a lot of work right now being done around community accountability and um, conflict resolution. And um, that's also part of the work. Um, before we move on to glistens, I want to ask you <laughs> Second to last question here. Um, before we recorded, we were talking about social media. And so one of the things, obviously a lot of our information is coming from social media um, and how we're communicating and exchanging ideas, information. I'm so curious to know from your experience, like what have you noticed that makes social media effective or versus like what it's, sort of its downfall of um, that. And and maybe it goes back to that whole messaging, but um, what is it about social media right now that you think is playing a role? Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, You know, I remember back in September when um, I last talked with you all, you know, I was like, I hate Facebook. Uh," (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Look, as soon as the pandemic hit and I started um, social distancing, Facebook became definitely like a lifeline in terms of, you know, finding news and hearing what's going on because I'm not in proximity to actual people anymore who are going to tell me the tea, you know? So um, um, I've, I've seen some interesting responses um, 
happen on fa- on social media, right? Like people making space, um, like Olivia Lilly, one of your um, mm-hmm. former guests and, um, you know, artistic director of Prop Theater, you know, she put up a post saying like, hey, so we're talking about redoing American theater. What do we need to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of people responded, you know, with their ideas and it became you know, a space to brainstorm, right? And and also get mm-hmm. concrete about what needs to change. Um, so <clears throat> it became that. And then, you know, through, yes, the hashtags, right? Open your lobby, um, you know, really a way to like meet new people and activate new people. And um, if you use a hashtag, right, I think it's really cool. Um, um, look, you know, hash, the hashtag Black Lives Matter, like that started, a whole massive movement, you know, and this moment in time today is possible because of all the groundwork that happened with that and all the decades of organizing, of course, that happened before that. Um, So yeah, um, a well-used hashtag, but like, you know, these are tactics, right? So again, it goes back to what are the overall strategies, right? For liberation, who is at the center and, um, if we can like just get get right now um, um, and know right let's let's center the communities that are most impacted by you know systems of oppression and yes those are you know black communities trans communities black trans people um, black women like how can we if you have a platform, lift and amplify um, organizing efforts um, of of the most impacted communities, right? So I actually do see like, you know, um, Prop Theater, they are amplifying um, lots of good work. Um, Free Street Theater on Juneteenth, they made a concerted effort to amplify and lift um, Black artists, for instance, um, um, I see Kelly Hayes, um, who's an artist, um, journalist, native organizer, um, uh, with Truth Out, and Kelly does the uh, Movement Memos podcast, which I love. Um, Kelly uh, and and Miriam Kaba, who does um, Prison Culture and um, who does um, the website Transform Harm, like they are wonderful online fundraisers and they have a lot of a lot of stuff to say about digital organizing um i really recommend actually kelly did a podcast episode on movement memos um with Miriam kava all about digital organizing it was really good oh, cool. yeah check it out because you know and they talk about digital organizing but if you're a good digital organizer chances are you're a good organizer, period. So they talk about the principles of organizing and I, I really recommend it anyway. But they really use that hashtag and they they have platforms um, on Twitter and Facebook. And every time you see them, um, you know, lifting a fundraiser, it is um, joyful. It's beautiful. And there's art involved. It's full of hope. Um, Miriam Kaba is famous for saying hope is a discipline, you know, and mm. they really like they lift um, 
the people most impacted by systems of oppression. And so I really would look to to Miriam Kaba and Kelly Hayes' examples. That's really inspiring to hear because sometimes I I just see social media as you know, it's really easy on social media to become a hypocrite, you know, just by, you know, hashtagging and reposting and sharing, but not actually doing anything else. Um, because it's so much a medium of image and how you present yourself. Um, and so it, I'm really, it's really inspiring to hear the work that people are, I mean, I know it exists, but it's also, it's good to be reminded that it can be so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we all have to get really real with ourselves yeah. and each other and ask like, okay, by doing this post or doing this thing, am I doing this thing of performative allyship right now? Or am I um, making a change, but it's actually only cosmetic. Like we really need to get real. Right. And, it, you know, right. um, and, uh, you know, I really think, if I may, you know, for white theater makers, I think it's just a wonderful opportunity to take that move back, listen, gather with other white folks, you know, deconstruct your histories and actions, and, you know, reorient. And then, you know, it's okay to take a pause and reemerge in a whole new way. And then, you know, for people of color theater makers I think you know we can take this opportunity to heal and forgive ourselves for our complicity in systems of oppression um I know I have a ton of self-forgiveness to do um and then you know strategize and regroup and again we have a moment to re-emerge later stronger more focused um and continue creating, please, please, please. Right. Um, wow. Well, gosh, I feel like we could just keep talking and talking and talking. You can <laughs> me so much to think about and, yeah. you know, as dare club would say, our professor from grad school, <laughs> the conversation continues. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's ongoing and, and ever changing. Yeah, thank you so much for making space for this conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, shall we move to glistens? Anybody want to go first? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just still like digesting. Um, I know. I know. This information. I'm just like, wow. Oh. <laughs> everything, Tanisha, I have to say, like everything you just said, um, this, this time spent and it it really is inspiring. I'm just like I I get so overwhelmed by the hive mind of the internet. Uh, yeah. That and you know I the images I see and um it, it really gets me emotionally and sometimes I I react you know immediately in the immediacy that sometimes I'm like oh hold on a second uh why why did it was i just compelled by this thing right now a hashtag or who who wait who who is 
sending this message right now. <laughs> They're just like, because everyone knows that companies, um, corporations, like they know what's trendy, hashtag trend, mm. like quote unquote trendy right now. And they're just trying whatever they can to capitalize this moment. Mm. And so I sometimes it's just like, I need to take a step back a minute and be like, okay, wait a minute before I just give my money away again. <laughs> or like give before, like, especially because news are happening where things are com- are unfolding people that we thought were leaders or organizers are like oh wait they just like took all this money uh or mm-hmm. fraudulent um and yeah i'm just like i what are you saying right now it's so so important to think about the the I don't know how has the best way to say it. I'm not saying small people, but like the the look to the community, like the your local community, and just like seeing what people around you are doing. I think is is what's speaking to me right now. Um, uh, you guys, you guys, I have a tissue right here. Like I'm just right next to me. I'm just been like getting a, yeah. oh my hands no, are like climbing up. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really hear that. And I think there is, um, you know, as we've all moved so much of our lives online because of the pandemic, it does become harder to tell sometimes where something is coming from or what's genuine and what's real. And, um, And I think many of the internet platforms we're operating on do function by getting us to have an immediate, you know, reaction, whether that's emotional or like, oh, I'm going to donate, you know, to this place that I've never heard of before, just because I'm having this feeling. Um, And, or I'm going to repost this without really thinking it through, you know, there, all the algorithms have been designed to make us react really quickly. And um, I mean, I, I think it sounds to me what you're saying, Sarah, is that that can that process in and of itself can be exhausting and stressful and mm-hmm. disorienting. Yeah. Yes. And I want to follow up on that word feelings, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that, yeah, we are definitely being manipulated, right? And um, I think the fact that you can be really conscious of, wow, that thing made me feel a feeling, you know, I think is really important to check in on. And um, I think, you know, I'm all about feelings. And um, I think our actions, right, um, especially when it comes to making social justice happen, right? Um, let's make sure that our the actions we take are rooted in a, a strategy, right? And a grounded yeah. campaign um, uh, with trusted, you know, comrades and collaborators, right? So, um, you know, because marketing is marketing, Right. And this is the thing that I saw with Victory Gardens. Like you can market the hell you can you can you can build any image you want to build on social media. Um, but it always comes down to 
what are you actually doing on the ground? You know, what does it actually look like and feel like in the office? Um, um, so I do think like having true media literacy and critical thinking when engaging with marketing um, is super important. And I've I've also been asking questions of like, okay, this this piece of journalism is it actually journalism answering, you know, who, what, why, when, where, how, you know, <laughs> right. or is it brand building? Gosh. Is it a is it a commercial? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, same with art. I've been asking, right? Is this art? Or is this um, more amplification of the status quo? Is this a commercial for fascism? Is this a commercial for the police, especially? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is this selling us some image so that we, you know, kind of go back to a state of comfort rather than going forward? Towards mm-hmm. some kind of change, yeah, yeah. Okay, I promise we'll move on to glistens, but I just have one more question. Yeah, one more question. Um, so Tanuja, during this time, I'm, we're really curious to know, you know, how have you been thinking about your own artistic practice? Um, how are you staying creative, and or just like everything that's happening around you? Um, has this influenced the way you write at all? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, friends. Um, well, okay. One, oh my goodness, how to even start with this? Um, okay, art is how I process my feelings in the world. <clears throat> um, it just always has been. Um, so, and I, um, I actually haven't been able to continue um, going to my local ceramic, um, uh, what do you call it, pottery studio. So um, I've taken my art practice home. So um, in terms of like, because I need an, a nonverbal art practice, um, I just do like as a person, I live in my head a lot. And so I, I really need something like that's tactile and grounding as a nonverbal practice. So like I've been doing a lot of crochet. Um, mm. uh, I took a free like beginner watercolor class and and that. I been- saw your watercolor. <laughs> yeah. It just, you know, so basic, but so like cool. so, so soothing and exciting. Um and uh, my partner just got me a bunch of like mosaic making um, tools and mm. materials. And I just am so compelled by mosaics, right? Like taking broken things and curating them and gathering them and arranging them to make a whole new thing. Um, so, you know, a lot of my stuff has become quite nonverbal, um, but uh I do a fair amount of journaling. I take a ton of notes. I'm just taking notes and notes and notes and notes and notes, right? Like, um, you know, my passion planner, I I just can't say enough about like the daily passion planner and the annual passion planner and <laughs> my, my bullet journal. And like, you know, I'm just literally taking notes and notes and notes, Um literally writing like I have a little section in my passion planner daily where you know I write down all the 
freaking feelings that are popping up, you know, all the quote unquote positive, quote unquote negative, none of it is good or bad. It's just what it is. Right. So I just write it all down. And then it's kind of funny. It's really funny actually to go back and be like, wow, Tuesday, (laughs) (laughs) Tuesday was a day. (laughs) Um, So anyway, just (laughs) like doing that external processing, but um, you know, not calling it art necessarily. And then I'm just, I've, um, I think, I think one day after I've been able to digest everything, I'll probably feel really great about like writing a solo play or like Mm. writing a play by myself or, you know, writing a novel and, you know, this and that. But honestly, right now I'm just very excited about devising, um, uh, getting in a room, uh, via zoom, with other theater makers and being like, okay, here's our text. Here's our source text. I'm going to start this process um, with prop theater in July. Uh, we are creating a musical devised adaptation to Faust. Cool. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. <laughs> It'll be fun. Um, Olivia will be directing and um, the production will be up at prop theater in spring of 2021. Um, awesome. But um you know, Faust, man, the themes yeah. of Faust, wow. the archetypes of Faust. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this Faust that um, basically this is a really cool process that Olivia has developed over the years, which is um, if I can quickly talk about it, like yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the ensemble gets together for seven weeks and we do devising exercises around the source text Um after those seven weeks, the playwright, in this case, it will be me, um, after taking notes and observing everything, I'm, I get to go away um, um, with um, all these notes and observations and write a first draft. Um, then we'll come back together and the cast will be like, no, you got it wrong. You know, um, and we'll just go, we'll just be in a process of rewriting before we produce it. Um, I'm really excited about it because it's a, the, the themes that we're going to fold into our Faust are really they bring in um capitalism they bring in life as a gig a gig worker they bring in um you know healthcare and and so on and so forth so i just really cool. am geeked about devising i just can't wait to just hold space with other theater makers and be like what do you think and what do you feel and what has been your experience and how do we put put it together um and make it collective kind of peace right that's where I'm at and more and more I'm I'm quite drawn to devising I'm so excited and curious to see how devising will work virtually yeah Mm -hmm. and we have models thankfully right um wasted is a show that is coming really soon. Um, um, they open actually this Friday, it's free street theaters, um, youth ensemble show and it's, it's debuting online. Um, yeah, I really want to see that. That's so cool. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Katrina Dion is the director and they went from having in-person rehearsals to digital and they made that pivot quickly and just elegantly. And um, I can't, uh, I, I cannot wait to see it. So we have, we have wasted as a, as a potential model and, you know, what I love about working with prop theater and Olivia is like, there's this spirit of adventure, right? Like, let's figure it out together. We, you know, we can figure it out. Cool. All right. Go- All right. Glistens for real. <laughs> Round right. two. Um, cool. I could start. Um, God, there's just so much on my mind right now. But I guess one biggest one that I'm thinking of is that um, June 27th was the day I was going to get married, the wedding day, um, celebrate with family yeah. and friends. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just like this having to look at my Google calendar and like delete, delete or like reschedule to next. You know, it was just call- making calls to like cancel things. And um, but I'm just really grateful that um, we're here, (laughs) we're alive, and we are, um, you know, like me and Nick. And it's funny because like on this show, I I think I mentioned the wedding at least once or like every episode um, for like a year or two or something. I don't know. But I'm just like really grateful that despite everything that's happening, we like have each other's back and we're just still here. We're, we love each other. We're supporting each other and we're alive and well and healthy. <laughs> and, yeah. and all our friends, our family are like, they're okay too. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I'm honestly, I was, I was bummed two months ago, but now I'm not like, I'm, I'm just very, I just been very reflective about, the the how quickly we like don't like you're I'm such a forward thinker I'm constantly planning like three years ahead <laughs> constantly and then sometimes I have to pull back and be like wait a minute like let's just let's just be in the now the present mm-hmm. and let's mm-hmm. just take this moment right now today and just soak it up and let's stop yeah so well and sarah now we're yeah. gonna get a whole another year of you talking about your upcoming wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, i am really looking forward to that nothing has changed like i didn't I'm not do anything new or it, honestly like i'm it's like all like i just just moved a year so there's nothing i mean i'm not picking out flowers or anything i'm like whatever <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. but yeah it's yeah cool who's next um i can go Um, my glisten is this video um (laughs) it's um basically racist statues that are falling um while enya plays in the background (laughs) oh my gosh that sounds amazing yeah all you have to do just google like racist statue enya and it'll pop up that's my glisten (laughs) so it's just like a montage of all the yeah different clips oh that sounds so good yeah yeah cool 
Well, you guys, I just started watching. I had been putting off watching this for like a year, and I finally am watching When They See Us. Have you guys seen that? About the it's yeah, it's about the five um, boys who were falsely accused and then prosecuted and imprisoned mm-hmm. um, in the Central Park Jogger case, and it is incredible. And I highly recommend it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's really hard to watch, um, but, but really well made. And um, yeah, I've, I've only watched the first two out of four episodes. So Mm. Um, yeah, I remember when that first, when that show um, came out and just how immediately it just didn't get any momentum. Like it, Oh really? Yeah, it just it came out. I just remember um at the time because of my job at the time um we were like helping with the publicity or something, but it was like it's just it came and went. And I and then now this movement has really has kind of highlighted uh, it. Yeah, and I think it's yeah, it's it is a very um <laughs> painful to watch, but very very important. And it's uh who is it? Ava DuVernay? right yeah she she created it yeah she's i love her storytelling Mm -hmm. she's yeah one thing i didn't know is that um the men actually asked her to make the film like they came to her oh i didn't yeah i know i like that and she was like you know i would be honored to tell this story um but it's i think because i um was you know, I, when I grew, I kind of grew up hearing the story as a child, but like, didn't, you know, really understand, um, the context. And it's Mm -hmm. just always, so it's always such an interesting experience to kind of revise your own memories and unlearn things that you were taught. And, um, and it's just such an incredible piece of storytelling. So I really recommend that. Thank you. So, well, Tanuja, thank you so much. And it's always such a gift to talk to you. Same. It's so wonderful to talk to you both. And thank you for keeping the podcast going amidst everything that's going on. (laughs) 